0: You've heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. You know, what it means is basically that we become so familiar with an idea, we become so familiar with a story, maybe with with people, that, that we no longer appreciate and respect what those things have to communicate to us. And so today I want to talk about the story of Naaman. And I hope that we'll see that this story has lessons for us as adults and not just the Connors and the young people of our congregation. So turn with me, as Dick just read, if you still have it open, to 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. As he said, it's page 414 in the Pew Bible. It says in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, verse one tells us. When I first read this verse, when I I thought about this sermon and and what I was gonna preach today, I thought about you, this congregation. You see, uh, Naaman was a a mover and a shaker in his world. He was successful in his career and in his job and he was highly regarded and he had a great reputation. And I I thought about this congregation and I thought about the people that are just around this church and I thought about the people that many of you rub shoulders with. This is a congregation full of movers and shakers, influential people in the world, in the church, in various forms of business. Many of you rub shoulders with with some of the most influential people in our state and and in our nation. Just today, a member this morning, knowing that I like history and I like politics, he gave me a gift. The gift was an invitation to the second inauguration of President Ronald Reagan. I've never been in a church where so many people know a president or a former president of the United States. And so when I read this verse, I I thought of many of you, movers and shakers and and the people that, that you intersect with in your daily lives. But the verse tells us, and everything we see in this verse paints this picture of of a man that has really, it seems like, everything together. He's a commander. He's a great man regarded highly by his boss. He has a good reputation. He's victorious in his battles. He's valiant. But this great man with a great life is confronted with a great Crisis. The end of verse 1 in chapter 5 tells us that Naaman is awesome, but he has leprosy. But he has leprosy. He was a warrior, but he was a leper. He was honored amongst the people of his land, but he was a leper. He found favor in the sight of his king and his boss, but he was a leper. He was valiant, but he was a leper. And no matter how magnificent the description of Naaman is or was, at the end of the day, nothing could trump the fact that he was a leper. We teach our children that this story is a story of the faith of of little maid and how her faith led to the healing of her master and his conversion to God. and, And all this is true. But I want to posit today that this story is about how God can use the crises in our lives, how God can use the, the most difficult times in our lives to, to break down the barriers between us and him. To use these crises to, to move aside the things so that, so that at the end of that crisis, or as we go through that crisis, we discover our Savior in a way that we never knew him before, The other lessons are true, but, but maybe this is the lesson as adults that we need to learn as we go through the, the struggles and, and the trials that we face in our lives. And again, as I read the story, I thought about us that live here in the DMV, that for the most part live in comfortable homes and for the most part drive Fairly nice cars, maybe two cars, maybe three cars. I won't point any of you out, but maybe five or six cars. Who have good jobs and who have friends and take nice vacations. Us who mingle with the powerful in our land, the powerful in our church, the powerful in business and in healthcare. Us who maybe say, like the church in the book of Revelation, we are rich, we have become wealthy, and we have need of nothing. But just like it happened to Naaman, I believe that in all our lives, in fact, the Bible actually teaches us that in this world we will have trouble, we will have crisis. In all our lives there will come something, some, some crisis, some Loss, some pain that our power, that our intellect, that our uh, education, that our friendships, that our status will not be able to overcome. Some crisis that none of these things that that we that we honor in society will be able to fix. Gordon McDonald, some of you may have heard of him. He's a he's a pastor. He's now in his eighties. He's a pastor and he's a writer. And he wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World, and it's a, it's a very popular book amongst pastors, sold well over a million copies. But that's what he's most known for. But he wrote another book called Rebuilding Your Private World. And in Rebuilding Your Private World, uh, Gordon McDonald speculates that, that more than 50%, he believes that more than 50% of the men and women that come to church each week are secretly dealing with some private pain some secret struggle in their lives, some deep regret in their heart. So while Naaman's crisis is very public, leprosy, when I read this story, I also think of us, those of us that are in this room that, that maybe don't have a public thing but have a private crisis going on in our lives right now. People in this room who feel powerless, to to fix that thing in their lives, whether it be public or private. Now, these uncontrollable crises that come into our lives uh, are not brought on, I don't believe, are brought on by God. But I do believe this. I do believe that God uses these crises in our lives, whatever they may be. A crisis with our children, a crisis in our marriage, a crisis in our, in our finances, a crisis in our, in our work, a crisis over sins that we have committed. I do believe that, that God can use these crises to do something amazing in our lives. Satan may cause the pain, but God can use that pain to draw us nearer to him. And for Naaman, the thing that he needed to have fixed was his skin, this skin disease, for which at the time there was no cure, leprosy. There was no cure. I actually just, on a side note, I just read recently that in Los Angeles there are new cases of leprosy amongst the homeless. We don't think of this disease anymore, but it is still actually out there. But, but he, had this, he had this disease, this skin disease, And what he had discovered in the midst of this disease was that his position and that his status within his own land could not bring him any healing. He couldn't go to the doctors and say, hey, you know what? You know who I am? Heal me. Do people ever come to you, Dr. Landless, and say that to you? They do. (laughs) Do you know who I am? Heal me. His, His position, his power... Had no, had no victory over this disease. And he realizes this. And so this faithful servant girl, Little Maid, remember reading the story of Little Maid? Little Maid faithfully shares witness and says, there is a prophet in Israel that can heal the master. And he hears this and he, he realizes that, that his position is having no sway in his country and no sway over this disease. And so he decides, well, if there's a healer somewhere, I'm going to go. And so Naaman tells his boss, the king, what he has heard from this little girl. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 5, that the king of Aram tells Naaman, by all means, go. By all means, go. If you know of a healer, by all means, go. But here's the problem. They still think that they're the ones that are going to bring about the cure, and here's why. Here's what I mean by that. The king says, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to send a letter with you to the king in Israel to tell him to help you and to cure you. Now, this may seem odd to us, but, but, but this is much of history. If you've studied history, much of history is that the kingly powers, the, 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 the governmental powers, oftentimes control the religious powers, they are the heads over the religious powers. I was just in, in uh, London not too long ago, and I took a quick jaunt from the airport, ran into London, and went to Westminster Abbey. I'd never been there before, and there's some people by the name of Stuart that are buried there, and so I went to see them. My good old late queen relative, Mary Queen of Scots, so we hung out for a second. And, uh, and Westminster Abbey, the head of the Church of England, is the queen, the queen. This is the way society has operated much of the time. And so the king of Aram, Aram is thinking to himself, well, if there's a prophet in a land, a religious man that can heal, I'm going to write to the king and I'm going to use my authority to get him to help heal you because I know the king controls the prophets and the religions and all, everything else. And not only that, Naaman says, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to, to, to motivate this king a little more. I'm going to use my personal wealth to bring about a healing And so Naaman, at the end of verse 5, it says, So Naaman left, taking with him not only the letter of the king, but he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. His position had no power to to bring him healing. But hey, if my position's not going to work, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to use my money to bring the healing, to work this situation out, to overcome my crisis. And many of us are the same way. Why is this happening to me? Do you know who I am? Well, I can just buy my way out of this situation. But there are crises in our lives that our position and our possessions, no matter how great they are, have no value, have no influence. And we see that that's what Naaman has to learn here in this moment. With a letter in hand, Naaman took it to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel read, With this letter, he read the letter, and it said this, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Thank goodness the king of Israel, though he might have liked the gifts, recognizes that his power is limited. And listen to his response when he reads this letter. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? In fact, the king of Israel not only thinks that, 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 that this is a, a silly request from the king of Aram, but the king of Israel actually thinks that the king of Aram is trying to pick a fight with him because the Israelites and the Syrians have been at war off and on. And so he thinks that the, that, the, that, the Israel, that the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with him. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? Naaman has a crisis in his life, and his power and his position have no power over this crisis, bring no victory. Naaman has a crisis in his life, and he's now learning in this moment that his money and that the influence of the king of Syria have no ability to bring about a change. Elisha hears about this encounter. Elisha is the prophet the little maid had spoken of. And he hears about the king's encounter with Naaman, and he tells the king, don't send him away. Send him to me. And then Elisha says this, so that he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, to our first century minds, or 21st century minds, this sounds a little bit, a little bit arrogant. It's like, a, it's like a preacher saying, hey, come to my church so that you'll know there's a good preacher in town. That's what it could sound like. But that's not actually what 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 Elisha is saying. See, the prophet in Israel was was a representative of God, and they were a truth teller. That is what a prophet is. It is a truth teller. And so, basically, what Elisha is saying is, send him to me so that I can teach him the truth about God. Send him to me so that I can teach him the truth about God. This is evident in the final outcome of Naaman's life. And I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it. If you weren't listening to the beginning of the story, I already gave it away, Naaman's converted. But we see that this is the result of what uh, Elisha meant. You see, because after Naaman is healed, he says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. This was the, the truth that Elisha wanted him to know. Naaman doesn't come back and say, well, now I know there's a great prophet here. No, the truth that Elisha wanted Naaman to know was there is no God but the one true God. He wanted him to understand that there's no power, there's no position, there's no possession that can overcome the greatest crises in our life. Only God, only God, only God. But before Naaman gets to this moment of realization in his life, he has to overcome what I see As the greatest hindrance, not only in Naaman's moment and life, but in our lives as well. The greatest hindrance to us fully surrendering and giving God the control to bring healing to our lives. You see, Naaman goes to Elisha, and the Bible tells us that Elisha does not even come out to meet him. Instead, he sends out a messenger. And this is what Elisha told Naaman through the messenger, verses nine and 10. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. It seems simple enough. Just go to the water, drop yourself down seven times and you'll be good. Naaman's not too keen on this. He's not too keen on this. There's several things that make him upset. One of the things, of course, we find out is that he's not excited about the water. When I was a kid, I I grew up in in California, and and my my grandparents were all farmers on my mom's side, and my great-grandparents were farmers, and they had uh, walnut orchards. And so I have no problem bathing in dirty water because when the trees were young, we used to irrigate the fields. And when you irrigate the fields, you get down just into your underwear, All right. As we didn't put on bathing suits. We just stripped down to our underwear because you don't want to get too many things dirty. And we go and we swim in the mud in the irrigation. That was the way we did it. And so, so I don't have any, I don't understand this, this, this thing about the dirty water. You know, whatever. I, I've been in some dirty water and, and the canals around California there. So I've been in those, in those uh, things. But, but Naaman is not uh, responsive to this instruction And the Bible tells us that Naaman went away angry, and this is what he said, I thought, and I want to pause there for just a moment. This is where most of us get in trouble. This is the biggest obstacle sometimes to that final breakthrough in whatever crisis we are facing. I thought. How many times have we hesitated to follow God all the way how many times have we, have we resisted God being in complete control of our lives because we think we know better than God? Or because we, we think that God could do it a different way and a better way, and if we just negotiate with him, it'll come out some way different. God, I thought you would do it my way. Listen to these words from a sermon preached by a man named Charles Spurgeon on May 17, 1874. He says, This, how often we map out beforehand the path of providence, the path of God, and the method of his mercy, forgetting that the Lord's way is in the sea, and his path in the great waters, and his footsteps are not known. When the Lord does not choose to act according to our notions, we start back and cry half indignantly, I thought, I thought he would surely act otherwise. God, I came to you and I called on you and then you didn't do as I expected you to do. How dare you? Does not providence often perplex you and run counter not only to your wishes but to your deliberate judgment? That which for many reasons seems to be best but does not happen to you. While that which appears to be distressingly injurious overtakes you. God, do you know who I am? How good I've been? How faithful I've been? Why is this happening to me? I thought it should be different. Your forecastings do not come true. Your daydreams are not realized. Your schemes for life are not carried out. You cannot understand why you are thus baffled. Why is it that you are kept in poverty when you could have made such good use of riches? How is it you were laid aside just when you could have been most useful? Why, God, have my talents been denied? Why, why have talents been denied to me when, when you feel that you could use them with such diligence and fidelity? How is it that others who trifle away life, are endowed with ten talents, while you who are industrious and jealous have scarcely one. We have ventured, he says you, but we have ventured to propose such inquiries. We have not been able to answer them. It is as well that we should not For our business is not the solution of problems, but the performance of precepts. Let us cease our own wisdom and leave all arrangements in the hand of our Heavenly Father. Listen, our thoughts are vanity. His thoughts are precious. I thought, God. This is what Naaman says. I thought it was going to be different. Naaman had to learn that his power and his position had no strength over his crisis. Naaman had to come to the realization that his money and his possessions had no strength over his crisis. Now he had to learn the final and the hardest lesson of all, that his will and his desires and the way he wanted things to work out had no power over his crisis. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. And listen, these are his ideas of how God should have done it. I thought he would surely come out to me And he would wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. A little, you know, magic there. Can't you just wave your hand over me? Hocus pocus, all this thing. But then he says, God, if you didn't like this idea, I've got a second idea for you. I thought, why not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus? They are better than all the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? God, these are the two options I'm comfortable with. God comes into our lives and he says, this is your crisis. This is the thing you're going to go through. I'm I'm going to bring you through it, but this is the way we're going to do it. And we say, God, I thought it was going to be different. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to go there. So the Bible tells us, so he turned and went off in rage. Praise God, though, that Naaman had some good friends, and they weren't really friends, they were servants. So let's say he had some really brave people in his life because they were willing to speak up. But he has some good friends around him at this time. And I praise God that when we are going through our crises and we are going through our struggles, so often God sends people into our lives. Sends people into, into our times of struggle. And if you're going through something right now on the back of the connection card, you can check that. And I promise you, this week, someone will call you and pray with you. You don't have to go through these things alone. You can turn that in at the end of the worship service. And none of you should go through it alone. We're the most secretive club in all the world, and we should be the most open. We're killing ourselves by holding in our own sin and struggles. Anyways, another talk. But he had these friends that came around side of him, praise God, and they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Here's what they're basically saying to him. Sir... You thought it would be a different way, but I want to let you know right now, your thinking doesn't really matter. You can think all you want, till you're blue in the face. You're still gonna go away from here from leprosy. Why don't you just give this a try? And thank God for our children's story, and for all of us, that Naaman listens to his friends. You know, the, 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 the real faith of the story is not Naaman, it's all the servants, it's all the little people. It's the little maid, it's the faith of the servants. Those who are in humble positions, were humble enough to say, why don't we just listen to God? But Naaman listens to his friends, and the Bible tells us, so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And y'all, that is the wow moment of Naaman's life. The wow moment is not that he was healed of leprosy. The Bible doesn't say that he said anything right after that. The immediate thing he did was went back and testified, now I know there is a God There is only one God. The wow moment of his life was that finally he had met his Lord. But the Lord had to use that crisis to help him to realize that that he needed the Lord no matter how powerful or no matter what his position was. The Lord used that crisis to help him to realize that, that his possessions didn't matter. He still needed the Lord. The Lord needed that crisis to help him break down his pride and his, his way of thinking to realize that God's way is the only way. And at the end of it, not only was he cured of his leprosy, but he found his Savior. Now let me ask you, with that in mind, was his crisis, was his leprosy good for him or bad for him? Was his crisis good for him or bad for him? God used it to break down those things in Naaman's life so that Naaman ultimately would come to a relationship with God. God gave, allowed him to go through something that was horrible in order to give him the thing that is best in all the world, and that is the Lord. When we are going through crises in our lives, I know it is hard. It is hard to believe this and to understand this, and this is why we need friends to come around us and help remind us. But God may be using that valley of despair. God may be using that valley of regret. God may be using that valley of pain. God may be using that valley of of loss to bring you through into a relationship beyond your imagination. The day after my best friend Scott graduated from eighth grade, he was on the back of a motorcycle. His dad was driving, they were going to a local park. They were two miles away from their house, two stop, one stop sign and a stoplight away from their house and they were driving down the road and a lady pulled out in front of my friend and his dad. My friend flew 150 feet off the motorcycle into a ditch. His dad went straight into the woman's windshield and my friend laid there on the side of the road and watched his dad die. Eighth grade, day after his eighth grade graduation, my best friend Scott. After that, Scott, we never saw him cry. He never admitted to crying. He never wanted to talk about it. Years went by, I'd ask Scott, do you want to talk about it? No, I'm good. Try to ask him to recall memories of his dad. He'd say, "Uh, you know, he worked a lot, I didn't see him much, nothing. Our senior year of high school, we had a prayer group together and there was a group of us that were praying together and we'd finished our prayer time and I was talking to somebody and I felt this tap on my shoulder. And I turned around and there was my best friend sobbing. And I threw my arms around him and he just began to say over and over again, I miss my dad, I miss my dad, I miss my dad. At the end of that year, Scott got up in front of the entire high school, and he told the story of his crisis. He told the story of of how his dad had died, and at the end of that story, he talked about how when he finally surrendered his pain and his grief to God, not only did God give him the ability to mourn his dad, but then Scott said this, through my pain, I found my Savior. Through my pain, I found my Savior. I don't know what crisis you may be going through in your life. I don't know what crisis is ahead of you, but there is one coming for all of us. And I hope that all of us can remember at that time, and maybe some of our friends will come around us and remind us the story of Naaman Remind us that that though it may seem dark, on the other side of that, on the other side of that, we just may find the greatest relationship of our lives. On the other side of that, we can find peace. Folks, when you go through a crisis, there are only two options. Let me really lay it out for you. There are two options. You can allow that crisis to be led and to be driven by Satan. And slowly that crisis, that struggle, that pain, that hurt, that loss will eat away at your life and your joy. Or you can allow God to walk you through that crisis and on the other side of it, be able to say like Naaman, now I know that there is only one God in all the world. To say like my friend Scott, in my pain, I found my savior. Lord Jesus, there are people in this room right now that are suffering things, some we know about, and some no one understands but you. Jesus, I pray. I pray for one, that they will share it so that, so that we can walk through it with them but Lord I also pray that we will allow you to lead it through lead us through it and we will discover even in the midst of the pain even in the midst of the loss even on the other side of the pain and the loss we will discover something that our minds cannot fully comprehend the greatest love that has ever existed, the love of Jesus for each one of us. Lord, be with us in our crises and lead us through those times by your power and by your strength, I pray. Amen.